0: Today's story begins in Albuquerque, New Mexico, outside Ariana Halal Market & Cafe. 62-year-old Muhammad Zahir Ahmadi runs the market and cafe with his brother and in the early evening of November 21st, 2021, Muhammad steps outside to smoke a cigarette. He doesn't see the gunman nearby who has been lying in wait, and suddenly the gunman shoots Ahmadi in the head, execution style. His death is only the beginning of a string of four total murders in the span of nine months. And what do each of the victims have in common? Well, they are all Muslim. The Albuquerque Muslim community fears being targeted and many fear leaving their homes. But once the perpetrator is caught, the situation only becomes more confusing. Was this a targeted hate crime or a personal attack? If you want to find out, keep listening. This is Invisible Hate.
1: Hi everyone. Welcome to Invisible Hate. I'm Asad Butt
0: and I'm Sadia Khan.
1: For our new listeners with us this week, Invisible Hate is a true crime podcast where we dissect one crime where the victim is usually a member of a minority group and then Sadia and I debate it to see if it should be categorized as a hate crime. So, Sadia, this is a pretty recent case, right?
0: Yeah, Sid. Absolutely. There are a few details here and there that maybe wait just because the information hasn't come out yet, all the information, or we haven't been able to find it. But don't worry, listeners, we are sharing as much information as possible.
1: Yeah, I remember when this first came out, and it was a pretty big story across the country, at least in the Muslim communities. So I'm excited to learn more. Let's definitely get started.
0: Absolutely, Asad. Now, because there are multiple victims in today's episode, I will flesh out each crime first. So the man from the introduction is 62-year-old Muhammad Zahir Ahmadi. He's from Afghanistan and he and his brother immigrated to the US in the 80s. They lived in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania for a while before settling in Albuquerque, where they now own a local market. Ahmadi's brother would later boast about Ahmadi's love for cooking and catering. He enjoys American and Ahwani dishes, which probably makes him a great partner at the cafe. (laughs) Apparently, it's after hours when Ahmedi steps outside to smoke a cigarette in late November of 2021. When police later find his body with a gunshot wound to the head, they initially think it's a suicide, which shows how close-range the shot was. Execution style basically means close-range, right? But the fact they thought it was a suicide means the gunman was so close to look this man in the eye and that sense chills down my spine i said honestly
1: yeah same same so scary
0: But even once police conclude this was a murder, the case goes unsolved and no one is arrested. The next murder isn't until 8 months later, in July 2022. A 41 year old man named Aftab Hussain is pulling into his driveway near Ariana Halal Market and Cafe, where the first victim was killed the year before. Aftab is from Pakistan, but he's lived in the States for about 6 years. In an article from the news source KRQE, many people People characterize him as a hard worker, especially his fellow co-workers at the Flying Star Cafe where he's currently employed. In fact, it's a Tuesday and he may have had a shift earlier that day. But later that night, while Aftab pulls into the driveway leading up to his apartment, someone else is hiding in the bushes. As Aftab steps out of his car, someone aims and shoots. Aftab dies right there on the pavement. And this one is scary because he was right outside his home. I mean, can you imagine Asad being targeted right outside one's home? the last two weeks. We have
1: members of our Muslim community who are afraid to participate in everyday activities that they should never be afraid to do. Things like shopping. Things like praying. both of these scenarios are really scary to me in that it just is so immediate you're just going about your day-to-day life and then all of a sudden you're murdered and you're not only murdered you're shot in the head i mean just incredibly scary to think about this and then as you mentioned right outside your home the one place you're supposed to feel really safe it's whew, it gives me it really gives me chills to hear this story so far and I know you've only shared two. You know, I'm starting to get this feeling that this might have been planned. I'm wondering, Sadia, is like there any sort of confrontation? Like, do we know if the victims knew the perpetrator? Do we know if there was any sort of confrontation?
0: So in the cases that we've discussed previously, there is some degree of confrontation between the killer and the victim first, but not here. So it's all very sudden and quick. But that's not the end of it, Asad. Only six days later, on August 1st, a man named Muhammad Afzal Hussain becomes yet another victim of this errand shooter. Muhammad is only 27 years old and he's also from Pakistan, like Aftab. Muhammad is a city planner for the city of Española, which is about an hour outside of Albuquerque. He's known for being soft-spoken and kind and apparently he liked going on walks late at night. By the way, Asad, I like to do the same thing. I like to go out on walks. Same. And just reading this narrative is making me so fearful of just going out
1: i'm out with you 100 i mean i have to walk my dog tonight and i'm definitely going to be looking both ways so what happened
0: so on august 1st muhammad is out on one of his walks when someone shoots and kills him police find him shortly afterward but it's too late August 1st of 2022 is a Monday. By Friday, August 5th, the Muslim community holds a joint funeral for the two recent deaths of Aftab Hussain and Muhammad Afzal Hussain. Attending the funeral is a man named Naeem Hussain, who knew the two gunshot victims as fellow members of his Muslim community. Naeem is 25 years old and recently became a US citizen in July after fleeing from Pakistan in 2016. According to our research, Naeem left Pakistan after facing discrimination and persecution for being a Shia Muslim. And by the way, we'll talk more about the Shia and Sunni branches of Islam later because they will become important parts of the story. So anyways, Naeem leaves the funeral and then shares a meal with fellow mourners. Later that evening, he calls his fiance from the parking lot of a non-profit organization called the Lutheran Family Services Center. Naeem used to be a caseworker for recent refugees and asylum seekers here but it's not quite clear why he is here now. As for his fiance, there is a bit of conflicting information here. An article we found from the Washington Post says his fiancee is still in Pakistan but some sources claim that she's in Virginia. Either way she's not in Albuquerque. While she's on the phone she supposedly hears a gunshot from names end of the line hours later name is found dead in his car in that same parking lot besides his face has been shot so many times that his features are now disfigured and the lights and engine of his SUV are still on. So to me, it seems, said, whoever this perpetrator is, he has so much hate and anger inside him, right?
1: Oh, it, it seems clear, and it seems like this person, if it's the same person, is hunting down individuals in this community, and for someone to be shot while they're sitting in a parking lot so many times that their face is disfigured. Oh, it's heartbreaking. And, you know, Sally, also think about the fiance. You know, what do you do in that situation in which you're on the other line and you hear that happening to the person you're going to spend the rest of your life with? I mean, what do you do? Do you hang up? Do you call the police? Do you called back. I don't know what she did, but I can imagine that that must have been clearly the worst moment of her life. So scary, so hard to listen to. And just like back to back like this, you know, and for me, Sadia, and I'm sure for you, like we talked about, it's like such regular activities, pulling into your driveway, taking a walk, smoking a cigarette, you know, and that last one, he was on the phone with his fiance. It's so traumatic for everybody involved.
0: Absolutely, yes. And of course, by now, the city of Albuquerque and its Muslim residents have been noticing the murders albuquerque by the way has a total population of over 500 people but the muslim population is less than one percent of this only about 5,000 people are served so you can imagine that word spreads quickly especially since so many people seem to know each other through the local mosque called the islamic center of new mexico
1: if this was me in my community i'd be going out of my mind can you imagine if this was happening to, to people in your community? I mean, people targeting, you know, the Muslims that are going to your mosque. I just, it's, I can only imagine what this community is going through and the alarm bells that were going off.
0: Absolutely, I said, it's so scary. Just think what our response would be. How would we handle it if we were put in this situation? And
1: held to justice. Our top priority is keeping the community safe. And we're asking the Muslim community, especially, to be vigilant. Watch out for one another.
0: People with information are asked... So, people have definitely Stoppers. noticed the common theme in these murders. All of the victims have been Muslim men, and their deaths have occurred in a similar manner gunshots from relatively close range. Absolutely brutal. Naturally, the Muslim community is terrified as anyone would be. Many families stay inside their homes or at least avoid going out after sundown. Businesses close early. In general, the Muslim community urges its population to avoid going anywhere alone. So then the Albuquerque Police Department responds with multiple different measures that are honestly pretty helpful. They patrol common gathering places for Muslims and for the first time since its founding, the Islamic center has armed guards monitoring the premises, especially during prayer. And you know Asad, Muslims pray five times a day so you can imagine the center is a vulnerable place for the community. Based on the information they have so far, just going to pray at the local mosque has become potentially life-threatening. Oh my gosh, Asad, this is so painful and scary to think about because all the places that are mentioned in this story, in this narrative, sound so familiar. Halal Market Shop, Islamic Center, the mosque, these are the places where I go. And And it's just so, so, so bizarre to me that this was happening. Anyways, the city also offers trauma counseling and meal delivery for those too afraid to leave their homes. And I want to say something here. I'm glad that they offer trauma counseling because a lot of times we are so focused on the day to day that we forget how... And what kind of impact this situation can have on people's mental health and the trauma that they are dealing with.
1: Yeah, it seems to me that the city really stepped up and, and provided the services that the community needed and the protection that the Muslims in, in that community needed as well. You know, Americans at their best right here is when they're helping each other out in their community.
0: Absolutely. But at the same time, the ambiguity of the situation stops police from designating these cases as hate crimes. Hmm. Until they have a suspect and motive, they can't be sure if they were personal vendettas or if the murders were because of their race or religion. The Albuquerque police chief states in California news source KESQ that he doesn't want to use the label hate crime or serial killer because, quote, it would have been irresponsible for us as a police department to say that and further drive fear into a community that was already in fear, unquote. Hmm. And said, I understand what he's saying, at least for now, if I hear the words hate crimes against Muslims, when I turn on the news, I'll definitely be even more scared. But what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, you know, sadly, I remember when this happened in real time, and whether or not they were using the term potential hate crime was irrelevant to the fact that Muslims were being targeted, clearly, four Muslims or three or four Muslims to be killed in this fashion. Like, this isn't just random attacks. Muslims were being targeted for some way, shape or form. And that was really scary. Of
0: course, Asit, you're absolutely right. At the very least, Naeem Hussain is the last victim in this case. In fact, it's footage from this final incident that helps police find their suspect. I'm not quite sure where the footage is from, maybe the Lutheran Family Services Center has some cameras or maybe a nearby building, but either way, police finally get a clue as to who the killer may be. The footage shows a dark Volkswagen Jetta sedan with tinted windows fleeing the scene, which police then released to the public to help with identification.
1: After asking the public for tips about this car, which they believe was used in all four of the shootings. The request for help from the public came less than 24 hours after the arrest. It's still not clear
0: if law enforcement... The police department posted it on Twitter, and if there's one asset to social media, it's how quickly stuff like this can spread. Because from there, as you said, hundreds of tips from the community flood-in and organizations offer money to anyone who has valuable information. For example, the organization CARE, which stands for the Council on American-Islamic Relations, offers a $10,000 reward for information. And it works! A tip to the police leads them to their primary suspect. Are you ready for this, Asad? Yeah, tell me. So he may not be who you expect. The suspect's name is Muhammad Saeed. He's 51 years old and he too is a Muslim immigrant.
1: Oh, that's interesting and kind of complicates the whole hate crime part of this, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's what I thought at first too. But some details come out later that may help us dissect this whole thing. Thing. But first, let's finish up the details of his arrest. Asit, can you share those with us?
1: Yeah, so police arrive with a warrant to search Said's home when they see him driving away in the same Volkswagen Jetta that matches the vehicle of interest. So police follow him for a while and arrest him during a traffic stop over 100 miles away. At the same time, other officers search his home now, apparently, when he's pulled over, Saith admits to knowing two of the victims but denies involvement in the actual murders. In fact, according to an article from NPR, Saith tells authorities that the recent murders have been actually bothering him as well and that he was actually on his way to Houston to look for a new home and move out of Albuquerque. Uh, The evidence, though, in his car and in his home tell a completely different story. In his vehicle, police find bullet casings that match the caliber of weapon from at least two of the shootings. Similarly, inside Sade's home, police find a gun that they are able to link uh, to bullet casings that they found at two of the crime scenes. Um, And I don't know a lot about Uh, You know, tracing guns uh, to their respective bullets and bullet casings but the conclusion seems pretty clear and you know Sadia for me what I never understand with the perpetrators in any of these cases is like why are you a bad criminal like get rid of all the evidence in your car Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I feel like that's criminal 101 right like I'm hoping none of us will ever murder anybody but if you murder someone like get rid of the evidence like that that seems like a no brainer (laughs)
0: Regardless of Sayed's denial, he's arrested for murder, and by now you're probably wondering who Muhammad Sayed is anyway. There's some conflicting evidence about him both from Sayed himself and from various sources about him, but we'll do our best to share what information we could find. So Sayed is originally from Afghanistan, and supposedly he came to America about 6 years ago to escape violence. But Sayed himself doesn't seem to be the most peaceful person. Sayed actually has a wife and six children. And apparently he's had several domestic violence charges filed against him since 2017, all coming from his family. Wow! An ABC News article, for example, claims that Sayyid hit one of his sons on the back of the head with a metal spoon drawing blood. Another one of Sayyid's children is a young woman named Lubna. Lubna is married and according to our research, Sayyid was not a fan of her husband. While Lubna and her husband were still dating, Sayyid grew violent against him, eventually leading to a charge for battery. So this guy seems pretty crazy. And two months after this confrontation, Sayyid allegedly threatened to kill this boyfriend during an argument. So he definitely doesn't like his son-in-law but you know what's strange as it all of these charges for battery or domestic violence were dropped soon after as far as i can tell Sayed is never actually punished for these earlier crimes
1: oh man i feel like that always happens it's it's always the case where you know something like this happens the charges are dropped or not pursued and then the person goes on to do something even more violent and that's crazy and you know my thoughts on this i feel like similar to hate crimes domestic violence charges are sometimes not pursued or dropped because it's hard to convict or people just decide that they don't trust the prosecutors or for a host of other reasons and i feel like they're two peas in the same pod hate crimes and domestic violence yeah. charges
0: Absolutely. Sayed's anger by the way towards Lubna's partner only seems to grow Asad when Lubna gets married in 2018, Sayed is unhappy about their union so it's like he's just annoyed through and through. And I kept digging and digging to learn why he was so hostile to his son-in-law. Was it just general disapproval or is there something larger? Well, As it turns out, Muhammad Sayyid and his son-in-law belong to two different sects of Islam. Sayyid is a Sunni Muslim and his son-in-law is a Shia Muslim. Listeners, if these words are unfamiliar to you or you can't understand why this would lead to tension, well, Asad has done some research and he can explain quickly what the differences are and I promise it will help you understand this story further.
1: Yeah, so Sunni and Shia are two major branches of Islam, but they also have a bit of a tense history. Um, Even though they both practice Islam, there are a few kind of big differences that have caused conflict between the two for centuries now. The biggest and most divisive difference is the differing beliefs about who should lead any given Muslim community after Muhammad, who was the founding prophet of Islam. So Sunni Muslims believe that their leader should be chosen amongst anyone religiously qualified, whereas Shia Muslims believe that the Muslim leader should be a direct descendant of the Prophet Muhammad from 1400 years ago. Hmm. Of course, each country's Muslim population may have different concentrations of Sunnis and Shiites. Iraq and Iran, for example, have higher percentages of Shiites. On a global scale, though, Shia Muslims tend to be in the minority, with only about 15% of people worldwide identifying as Shiites, compared to about 85% of Muslims being Sunni And with Shiites in the minority, they sometimes face religious discrimination and persecution throughout various countries. If you remember from earlier, the final victim, Naeem Hussein, escaped Pakistan for that exact reason.
0: Exactly. So all that background becomes important when considering Sayyid's case because again, Sayyid is Sunni and as you may have anticipated, three of Sayyid's victims were actually Shias. Specifically, it was Afdab Hussain. Mohammad Zahir Ahmadi and Naeem Hussain. Also quick note, while some of the names and surnames of the victims are similar, these men are not related. Anyway, the conflict between Shias and Sunnis, at least according to some sources, is a clue as to why Sayyid targeted the people he did. This is where the possibility of a hate crime starts creeping at into the time, conversation. There's
1: no known links between the victims other than their religion and ethnicity. Police say they'll have a better picture of the killer's motive. But once then again- Again,
0: That's you mean. may wonder if Sayed knew that three of his victims were Shias, there are certain identities that are apparent, for instance, physical appearance, identity through that, or if you are wearing a piece of clothing, or if you're wearing something else that indicates that you belong to a certain community or a group, but in yeah. this case... The question becomes did he even knew because knowing someone's identity is a part of determining whether or not something is a hate crime.
1: I was thinking about this in terms of my mosque that I went to growing up which was kind of open to anybody within Islam and any culture and you know Sally, I think there was a general sense of you kind of knew who was Shia and who was Sunni you knew who was Nigerian versus West Indies versus Pakistani versus Arab. It wasn't something that was like overt but you just like I think you kind of knew just from being around people enough right and so you know it's interesting like yeah maybe he didn't know but I think I think also when you're in these communities you sort of just know, right?
0: I so said you're right because the Muslim community in Albuquerque is quite small as we mentioned in the beginning and sources have since learned that Sayyid did in fact know all the victims to some extent. Yeah. At one point Sayyid attended the same mosque as the three Husseins, therefore I wouldn't be surprised if people in the community are generally aware of the sect their fellow Muslims belong to, as you said, a lot of times we know. And remember Sayyid's daughter and the son-in-law that Sayyid apparently didn't like? Again, Sayyid's son-in-law is a Shia. And listen to this. The son-in-law was friends with two of Sayyid's victims, Aftab Hussain and Naim Hussain. I said, this story keeps getting complicated. Honestly, I don't know what to make of it anymore.
1: Yeah, there seems to be a lot of kind of interconnections and possible threads and motivation here. You know, the connection with the son-in-law and the difference between the religious beliefs. A lot going on here for sure.
0: Some sources claim that Sayyid was motivated by interpersonal conflict and vendettas. The connection to the son-in-law may explain two of the murders. But what about the other two? Allegedly, the first victim, Muhammad Ahmadi, had experienced quite a few run-ins with Sayyid as well. If you remember, Ahmadi is one who owned the market with his brother. As it turns out, Sayyid was a regular customer at Muhammad Ahmadi's market and apparently caused the owners frequent trouble. So he was a troublemaker, Asad. He yeah, was so just, just this this crazy dude doing stupid Irrational stuff. A fellow Afghan American business owner claimed in an article from a Wisconsin based news source that Sayyid treated women like property, Mm. worked infrequently, and had illegally attempted to exchange. Digital food stamps for cash in his store as well as the Ahmadi's store. And these incidents led to some disputes. A couple of years prior to the shooting, Ahmadi's brother and co owner claimed Sayyid had bought a large quantity of rice from their store and then tried to sell it back for a profit. As a result, Muhammad Ahmadi refused service to Sayyid for a while. Mm. And then two years before Muhammad Ahmadi was killed, camera footage catches Sayyid slashing the tires of the Ahmadi family's car while parked outside their shared mosque. Yeah, there's surveillance footage from the mosque that shows this. That's crazy. It is crazy. But once again, Sayyid did not face any punishment because the Ahmadi family didn't prosecute. Oh, man. Quite a few people have chosen not to press charges. Any thoughts as to why is it?
1: Yeah, nothing other than what I said earlier is that sometimes you people, A, don't want to press charges because they don't know how, or it might be too burdensome of a process. You might be worried about retaliation from the person. You might have been convinced by someone not to do that for whatever reason. And maybe it's also just like, keep this within the community. And maybe like, you know, the imam or someone within the community kind of was a mediator between the two here. If someone slashes my tires, you know, I'd definitely go to the police.
0: Yeah. And we don't know if he did it because he was just a bully and he did not like Amethyst, or he did it because of their identity. So that's the part that is confusing to me at least. But anyways, Sayyid's actions show that not only did he know the Ahmithis, he also clearly didn't like them. We can establish that at least. As for the third victim, Muhammad Afzal Hussain, he also wasn't connected to Sayed's son-in-law, at least not based on what we could find, but we also couldn't find evidence of interpersonal conflict between the two men. And to make it even more complicated, Muhammad Afzal Hussain isn't even a Shia, Asad. He's a Sunni Muslim, just like Sayyid.
1: So the theory being that if he was targeting just the shias in the community, you know, this kind of th- throws it for a loop because Muhammad Afzal Hussain is Sunni, And so that that theory kind of gets a little bit complicated.
0: Exactly. And he doesn't even have an interpersonal conflict with Muhammad Afzal Hussain. Right? right? So there's no conflict and he's not Shia. So why would he kill him then? Right. And according to Imtiaz Hussain, who is Muhammad Hussain's brother, Sayyid knew the Hussain brothers well enough to know that they too were Sunni. So he already mm. knew that they were Sunni. In a 2022 article from the new source Reuters, Imtiaz even disagrees that sectarian motivation played any role in the merges, hmm. So Imtiaz completely rebukes this whole theory of sectarian animosity, basically.
1: That's interesting.
0: There's a lot of information here, so keep this big point in mind some sources propose that Sayyid was so angry when his daughter married a Shia Muslim that he retaliated against other Shias. However, this doesn't make sense for one of the victims, Sunni, right? Nevertheless, once Sayyid's identity is known, the media latches on to the motive being a Sunni versus Shia conflict. At the end of August in 2022, the National Executive Director of the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee felt the murders were blatantly anti-Shia and the Shia Racial Justice Coalition said that they, and I quote, condemned the heinous targeted killing of Shias, unquote. But of course, not everyone agrees. One Palestinian American human rights activist said, and I quote, the simplicity of saying this is Sunni Shia hate crime is so reckless, unquote. The same activist also held an interfaith vigil for the victims so it's not like she was trying to discount the murders altogether and similarly the al-zahra islamic center president said that Sayed's actions were just extremist not really connected to sectarianism as always with these cases the situation is more complicated than it looks so before we talk about the litigation part of this case what do you think asit hate crime or not
1: Yeah, this is a complicated one, Sadia. Yeah, it's hard to judge it based solely on the fact that three of the victims were Shia. One was Sunni. You can't kind of make that argument that he was just targeting the other Shiites in the community. On the other hand, for me, like just at a base level, all four of the victims were Muslim. And so the question becomes whether a Muslim can be the uh, perpetrator of a hate crime against other Muslims? And I think for me, the answer to that is yes. It's not like this person was murdering other random people. We have no evidence to that. And so like he was specifically targeting Muslims within that community, regardless of whether they're Sunni or Shiite. So for me, like I'm leaning more towards this, this was uh, or should be considered a hate crime. But I think we're still in the early days of understanding what exactly happened. And so as more comes out, I'd I'd want to understand a little bit more. What do you think, Sadia?
0: Asad, to me, it's confusing. And I'm leaning more towards it not being a hate crime, right? Because... Tell me why. What you just said, a Muslim hate-criming another Muslim, how does that work, right? Because the definition of hate crime is committing acts of violence or aggression, towards someone based on their religious, ethnic, national identity, sexual orientation. Why would somebody hate crime someone else from the same religious affiliation? Are they hate criming themselves? So that's one. And if they are killing somebody because they are just angry and crazy, then it would be a murder, not a hate crime, right? Right. So that's one thing. The other thing is conflicting information. On the one hand, the fourth victim is not Shia, so it couldn't be against Shias. And being from a small community, he probably knew that this victim was not Shia and Sunni. Similarly, he didn't have interpersonal conflicts with one of them either. So I think he's this angry, crazy guy guy who just went on a killing rampage without thinking through what he was doing or even doing it because he did not like them or their identities. I think it was just random killing.
1: Maybe that is the case, Sadia. I wonder also like maybe one or two of them were hate crimes, right? Like maybe he did target them because of their identity and the other ones just happened to be because he was a murderer, you know, like I think that we can't discount that either. Yeah. You know, something that I was thinking about Sadia, you know, you mentioned that he was from Afghanistan and you know came to the states whatever 6 years ago and part of me was thinking, you know, if he's 40 something years old, man, he's lived in essentially a war zone for the majority of his life, right? Mm. And like what kind of mm. trauma do you think that he's witnessed or been a part of? And I'm I'm not trying to discount what he's done. Obviously, he has to be held accountable for his, his actions, for sure. But it just got me thinking about, you know, the trauma that he must have endured living in Afghanistan the majority of his life.
0: That's a great point, said, And I didn't even think of it. You're absolutely right. He lived most of his life in a war-stricken place. And I wonder, as you said, if he is unable to see the difference, right? So, the kind of impact, the harm that war and conflict can cause. Going back to the case, Sayyid is indicted pretty quickly. By the end of August, he is charged with three counts of first degree murder and four counts of tampering with evidence. We could not find exactly what those tampering with evidence charges include by the way, but also notice that he is only charged with three murders the very first victim still isn't included in his charge hmm. he's a primary suspect but there hasn't been sufficient evidence to prove his involvement in the murder of muhammad Ahmadi. and this makes me really sad asad because i'm sure muhammad Ahmadi's family wants some kind of closure right for
1: sure yeah
0: and this would not give them closure Sayed is now awaiting trial without the opportunity to post bail it's important to emphasize that this is an ongoing case. Sayed has not been formally sentenced yet and we couldn't find any info about his trial date. That's not too much of a surprise to me as I know that final trials can take a while. In the meantime, this means that we can't say anything certain about Sayyid's motivation beyond our opinion based on all the information gathering that we have done. One surprise that... Did pop up though was the possibility that one of Sayyid's sons, a man named Shaheen, may have helped Sayyid commit at least one of the murders. Now, this information is still a bit sparse given that this case is so recent. Still, according to a local Albuquerque news source, investigators have footage of Shaheen and his father buying a gun at a firearm store. And apparently, the connection picked up through cell phone towers has shown that Shaheen's phone was near the murder scene of the last of Sayed's victims. Shaheen was also formally accused of battery and recently accused of using a false address to buy two guns in 2021. But it's also important to note that these incidents were unrelated to his father's murders. That pretty much brings us to the end of this case. Until Syed goes to trial, we won't know the official ruling. But even if it wasn't a hate crime, he's still looking pretty guilty of murder at the very least. And with the possibility that it was a hate crime, I think it's important that we discussed it. On the one hand, some Muslim community leaders and activists have felt like it's harmful to quickly insinuate that this was a Sunni versus Shi'a conflict, but at the same time, I want to leave room for some accountability. If Sayyid was indeed motivated by sectarianism, even a little bit, then it's important to address.
1: Yeah, sadly, I completely agree with you. And and I think this possibility that maybe, you know, one or two of the murders or three of the murders could have been a hate crime is a possibility for sure. Those community leaders from both Shia and Sunni sects uh, had a lot to say in our nation's capital after APD announced this arrest today. They say American Muslims are united and will not be divided by hate. But these religious leaders hope the community can, uh, again, breathe a sigh of relief and assure its safety and security. So, Sadia, this case was really interesting to me, and I'm glad that we discussed it. If this case was particularly interesting uh, to you, our listeners, feel free to do some digging on your own, too, and let us know if you find out when the trial uh, date starts or other information that you found.
0: Right. Also, we found a donation fund for one of the victims, 41-year-old Aftab Hussain. The Flying Star Cafe is collecting money for Aftab Hussain's family because he had worked there. So if you would like to show your support and condolences, I'm sure it would be greatly appreciated. As with every single episode of the show, these were real people with lives and families. They were more than just the victim you're hearing about on a podcast. And my heart goes out to everyone out there who's lost their loved one in this horrible string of events. As always, thank you all for tuning into Invisible Hate. If you want to learn more, check out links in the show notes about the case. Please email us your thoughts on this story or any other story that we have covered or you think we should cover. You can reach us at info at You can also tweet us or hit us up on Instagram. Just search for the Invisible Hate Podcast. Thanks again for listening. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend, a family member. Give us a five-star review. Post it on your socials. Invisible Hate is a joint production of Refillion Media and Immigrantly. We want to thank our team, including Michaela Strather, Isabel Havens, Lindsay Kamu, and Paroma Chakravarti. Our music was done by Simon Hutchinson. We'll be back next week with another hate crime to analyze. Until next time, I am Sadia Khan.
1: And I'm Asad Take care.